Welcome to the first ever Be Yourself and Love It podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you discover practical tools that will help you live a rich and fulfilling life in all areas. In this first conversation, I'm speaking to my friend Daryl Becker, and he's going to be teaching us all about the Trivium Method of Critical Thinking. His website is voluntaryvisions.com. Now, why lead with a podcast discussing a method of critical thinking? Well, as we'll discover, the Trivium Method is actually a method for learning any discipline at all. So, since I'm hoping that we all learn a lot together from this podcast, it would be great to start with something on learning how we learn. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Please welcome Daryl Becker. I am here with the wonderful Daryl Becker, qualified acupuncturist, tuning in all the way from the lovely Hawaii. Uh, A stark contrast in weather from here in Scotland, I'm sure. And he is best known on the internet for his work in communication, in nonviolent, compassionate communication, and in critical thinking skills. And he's going to teach me, and by extension, you, all about the trivia method of critical thinking. Hi, Daryl. How are you getting on? Hey, Anthony. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a great privilege to have you on, especially because it means that I get the great privilege of picking your brain. Now, I've heard a little bit on the internet about this critical thinking method, the trivia the trivium, the trivium method. See, I've heard so much about it that I can't even pronounce it properly. The trivium method that it dates back, I don't know how long, perhaps you'll be able to tell us, and that it's basically thinking the way it should be done. And since everyone thinks, I think all of us could benefit from knowing how to do it properly. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about the trivium method, what it is, where it comes from, uh, can we eat it? Is it dangerous? And um, is it what the cool kids are up to these days? I'm not the best scholar on the history of the Trivium Method for that. You guys out there can put the name Kevin Cole, Trivium mm. Method of Critical Thinking, into your search engines because he's the scholar of the history of the Trivium the Method of Critical Trivium Thinking, method. which does indeed go back to... Pythagoras, who you know, when you go back to there, to Aristotle, who was basically formulating the the forms of logic, of what logic is composed of, and that Aristotle time period that goes back about twenty three hundred years from now, mm. at least. Thomas Aquinas, back seven hundred years ago, built further on the work of Aristotle and logic, and then more recently, there were. I would say in the last couple hundred years, the German philosophers were really like trying to understand how can we control how people think. Mm. And so they came up with this method that they would put forward and enforce people to go through school to learn. Mm. And it's very, very, um, uh, the Prussian school of thought of the, the Prussian schools that were enforced, that was, a uh, the the last attempt at coercive schooling or you know forced right. attendance schooling and that was for the purpose of training um obedient workers and obedient right. soldiers and so the way it has been more modernly used is to to unbreak this rigid method to look at each component 
and to understand how the components work together. So we'll go back now to the term critical thinking. It's, um, it's an expression that many people have heard, you know, and when applied, uh, I'll throw it to you now because now it's a uh, school is in session for you or rather class is in sure. session. This is not school. You asked for the class and you're voluntarily attending. Do you consider yourself a critical thinker, Anthony? I would consider myself to be a critical thinker, but okay. then maybe I've just been uh, conditioned to think that I'm a critical thinker uncritically. <laughs> Right. So here's the thing. When you think of a profession such as, let's say, a contractor carpenter who builds houses, if I said, would you be a critical thinker when it comes to building houses? And, and they would probably say yes. And here's why. They would say yes because if I said, teach me the ABCs in the beginning process of the house from, top to, from the bottom to the top, What's the process? What do you go about? All the different steps. And they would be able to do that. Mm -hmm. It would take them time, but they would be able to do that. They would actually be able to lay out all the steps. But were I to say, teach me how to think critically, Anthony, teach me the method for critical thinking. You see, that would be the thing right there. It would be that I'm speaking of a generalized term of how to use that adjective, critical, Sure. Which to me means analysis in the abstract and then practical applications thereof so that you get a predicted and desired result with your thinking. Teach me in, say, a few sentences what's critical thinking, Anthony. Do you have that? Can you give them right. to me? In a few, I'll no. give you 10 sentences to teach me critical thinking and see if you have it. Right. Well, no, that, see, that's so reveals the purpose of this show I guess because I could teach you some things about critical thinking like for example I could use um, an example and say someone might say if the car if there's no petrol in the engine of the car the car won't run uh, and that's true but then someone else might say the car doesn't run therefore there must be no petrol in the engine and I would say well you know not necessarily see that's a logical fallacy because because it could be something else there could be something else wrong with the car that's stopping it from running so I know a little bit about critical thinking about reason evidence and logic part of my degree was in philosophy and yet if you were to tell me Anthony teach me critical thinking I wouldn't know where to begin that conversation and and start from the beginning so I'm guessing that something about this um, that the idea of this is that this trivia method will help us learn critical thinking from the ground up rather than just in sort of a higgledy piggledy hodgepodge of a way Right, and that's exactly it. See, I just was counting how many sentences you just gave to me. I asked for 10, and I think you gave me closer to seven or so, the, you know, okay. some compound sentences, but it's the same thing. It's okay. Most people don't have an explicit, meaning easily explainable method. They're just using intuition, and they might be using at least a few components of critical thinking, but they're not putting them in order they're running around and they're usually out of order. And I have an order and I have a method, at least I have, I have several actually, but I mean of the ones that I, I study critical thinking methods, plural. So there are methods, right. plural. 
And in these years that I've been going on podcasts and, and doing productions like this and getting interviewed on the subject, I keep finding and studying a variety of critical thinking methods and I compare them to what I keep finding as my gold standard for critical thinking, which is the trivium method. It right. is old. It seems to show evidence that it is the superior way compared to all the other methods right. because of simplicity. Because let's, let's be honest, people could use simple things and I can use simple things. Whereas it's harder to use complicated things, kind of like a, a complicated philosophy degree where you go over all of these different specific minutiae and specific people who teach different components of critical thinking instead of, say, having a very simple three-step, okay. which is what I'm about to give you. Okay. Well, why yeah. critically think at all? I mean, isn't, I mean, all this philosophizing is great, but we live in a very practical world and, you know, shouldn't we just get out and do things, not do this kind of mental, isn't this just for privileged intellectuals to sit around smoking and having deep meaningful conversations so they think when actually nothing, nothing really gets achieved in the process? The purpose of effective critical thinking, such as what I'm about to give to you and everyone who's watching and listening, is to get predicted and desired results. Okay. That's the purpose. Okay. Are you getting perfect predicted and desired results with your methodology? Well, then you probably don't need what I'm about to give you. Would you okay. like to have more predicted and desired results? That's what I'm about to give. So it doesn't quite matter whether how privileged or not privileged one is. If you want to get results that you predict and desire, that's what I'm about to try to give is a method that goes in that direction. Got it? Right. Well, I'm pretty sure that everyone listening has uh, desires. If not, they would be a Buddha and uh, no longer in the cycle of birth and <laughs> birth and rebirth. So given that my audience certainly has desires, please tell us how we can fulfill our desire to think critically in a predictable way. Okay. When I was first given this method in its first form, I must have been about seven or eight years old. It was a teacher in my elementary school describing what is the process by which a writer, a journalist, writes an article for a newspaper. And what they do is they make sure to ask and answer the substantial questions, who, what, where, and when, why, and how. And that was the, my elementary beginning to understand if you answer all of those questions in a substantial way, you get in a very, very complete article. You read a modern-day newspaper article or something coming from Huffington Post or Slate or Vice or Jezebel or all these other sources, and you'll find that this has been deviated from because that's not clickbait-worthy. That's too factual. That's too, mm. too actual informative. And what people want is right. things that pull on the strings of emotion nowadays. That's what gets clicks and attention with writing nowadays. But when it comes to, say, an instruction manual or something of getting something practically done, those questions are asked and answered in a substantial way, and they're done in that order. And that order let's, is... Uh, let's yeah, hear them I'll go again. Over it. So we'll start with who, what, where, and when. And these are the substantial questions of grammar. Grammar is, I, I mean by that general grammar, 
and were it to be a, a precise grammar of a specific subject, say learning oriental medicine and acupuncture like what I do, you would first, in, in the College of Oriental Medicine, you would be learning all of the names of all of the component parts of what we do. I mean everything, from not just the tools, but the actual meridians, the names of the actual acupuncture points. You'd be learning all of the component herbs and herbology and herbal formulas. You'd be learning the grammar of the entire subject. You'd be learning who, what, where, and when, the history of it. So the, the what part I just covered, but the who, who are the people who came up with this stuff? You'd be learning those names. You would be learning when, when did they come up with these things? That's context. It's very mm. much it's very important to get the context of the situation. How was this science discovered? Where? Where were these things discovered? And so you go back to the Middle Kingdom or the Celestial Kingdom, you know. So it, it goes back to, in that case, with that profession, 6,000 years plus, minimum. And it, it gives a history of it, you know, from the, the wealthy kings and, and their court who would desire long life and an ability to conquer, thus to be healthy. And you'd, you'd understand the context of where these things were. Who, what, where, and when can be applied to any possible subject. And it's the beginning. It's called general grammar. It's data. It's getting your data points. It's having one definition per term. And you will notice in discussions that get heated that someone or both people or all people are not really clear on their definitions. They're using words that have definition wobble, as I call it. Right. You get clear right. on that definition, like what is government, what is anarchy, what is freedom, what is liberty. Once you get clear on what that means, what is property, what is exploitation, <laughs> what, is, right. um, what is ownership, when a term is defined, it, for the, and I, all I mean by that is defined to the mutual agreement of all interacting parties, which is easier when it's just one person, like talking to themselves. Um, when the clarity is achieved, you have achieved clarity in general grammar. You are starting with the building blocks. On the pyramid, you have built a base. You're starting to like actually make a base that is fill, filled with data. You understand components, and for each component, you have one term and one definition, and they match, and they don't flip and change. So you don't have property, meaning this thing here, but oh no, that's exploitated property, and now it means this over here. That's confusion. That's A equals A and A equals non-A at the same time. That's a contradiction, which moves on to logic. So okay. you're aiming for clarity first, and you're aiming for a vocabulary, and you're aiming for definition, and you're aiming for understanding, and for context too, like I mentioned with the who, and the where, and the when which adds clarity to it, you know. And you only need as much clarity as, as gives practical applications. Right. Who, what, where, and when. And you bring them under the definition of grammar. Yeah. General Who, grammar. what, yeah. where, when. Yeah. And the other two? Well, once you have your grammar established, it's time to move forward to understand the connections between the points of grammar. It's understanding practical applications theoretically. So that's called logic. It's also decision making. To understand that is to say, you know, you can certainly, um, readers and listeners, you can go online and look up the informal logical fallacies. 
there's a wide variety of methods that one can use to yield a less predictable and less desirable result. And they are called informal logical fallacies. They are such things as an appeal to a dubious authority. Appeal to authorities in general is a very weak support of as far as a claim that that's that's supportive, but that's one example. But it is a form of decision making, and it is logic nonetheless, even if it might not give you a, a very predictable result. There are a variety of informal logical fallacies, and they are like your virus scanner on your computer or your firewall. They're there to potentially raise a flag to say, this might not get you a predicted and desired result. So when you know at least 10 logical fallacies, it's a way of flagging the information. But in general, logic is, is asking and answering why. Right. Why is the car not working? Upon right. understanding what the car is composed of, which is general grammar of the car. Right. So in knowing the grammar of the car, you can then move to understand theoretically why might things be working or sort of working or not working? What's that sound coming from? You see, this is an understanding before putting into practical applications, it's removing contradiction or at least isolating contradictions. So again, the whole one definition per term is an understood goal of your general grammar when you're working on it. And when you find something that is two definitions per term and sometimes flipping back and forth arbitrarily seemingly, that's a that's a problem with logic in other words that's that's actually like why is this term not given one why is this flick, flipping back and forth and the answer could be because the person devalues being right or thinking that they're right more than finding out what is correct that's a very right. common thing people like a self-esteem they base their self-esteem upon being right rather than finding out what is right this is a habit just like you want to raise your hand and and have the teacher call on you and say, yes, you got it right, and for the class to generally not laugh at you. That's like training. Okay, let's, um, let's circle back a little bit just to clarify what we've understood so far. So this trivia method, it sounds like a way of minimizing error in our thinking and in our communication with others. And if we look at the ways that error can occur. One of the first one is in what you've called grammar. Who, what, where, and why? When. When. Who, what, where, and when. I just wanted to make sure that I repeated that several times. Who, what, where, and when. Right. So if we have a different definition, we might be having an argument or having a disagreement because we're not using a word in the same way. For example, for some people, the word entrepreneur might uh, have a negative connotation because it's seen as someone who profits from the labor of others. Whereas to some people, it's seen as a really excellent thing, you know, someone who takes challenges and risks. Now, uh, we could be arguing over um, something and it just comes down to we have a different definition of the word. And if we both have the same definition of the word, then the disagreement actually completely disappears. It goes it goes up in smoke. I was trying to think of a situation where that might occur using the word entrepreneur, but none came to mind. Anyway, I'm sure everyone listening has been in a situation where they've had an argument and they've just uh, 
found out that they were actually disagreeing over the definition of a word. In fact, it happened to me once because I, I delivered um, a rousing speech. So I thought after a few drinks, this is going back a while. And someone said that it was good rhetoric. And I was insulted because I thought of the definition rhetoric as in something that sounds good, but isn't really communicating anything of substance. Whereas he just meant in the sense of um, a rousing speech, you know, well said. So that's an yeah. example of where disagreement or clarity or error can come along if we're not using language the same way. The second is in our logic. So circling back to my definition, if you made the logical fallacy, which I made, which was to think that just because the car wasn't running, it must be that there's no petrol in the car because earlier someone had told you the car wouldn't run if there was no petrol in it, then you, you're you making an error in logic. You're not applying the claims correctly. Right. Oh, it's troubleshooting. So logic right. is there to define how decisions are made. To go through the first component, it's very technically just called knowledge. It's data. It's the raw data coming in. And it's not even put into a format yet because that's step two of logic is understanding. Now you're understanding the connections between each grammar component. That is what produces a theoretical understanding or you're putting the data in formation. Put that word together, like type out the word information, you'll separate it in formation. You've put data into a format. Right. It yields you a pattern. The pattern shows you a picture. The picture shows you a potential application, which is the third step of the trivium method. See, um, knowledge, understanding, and practical applications would be the quick way of saying it. But general grammar, which is just knowing your definitions of each term, so you have clarity, so you have, you know, um, and when someone else doesn't is using a different definition, you can clarify what are they using for their definition. Maybe you might be able to use that too for the purpose of communicating with them. And maybe they might be open to hearing the definition that you were intending to use. Right. Um, so as I'm hearing you, I'm very much thinking that it's uh, common, and I've been in many debates, for people to go straight to the logic component. And do you think that that is the main error that people make when engaging in discussions with one another do you think it's the fact that they skip this grammar method and I might need to think about how I debate in future as well because yeah I, I think that it's very common that I suspect that it's the mistake that I'm making um I can say that it's a mistake that many people are making that that part of grammar work which by the way grammar work is never fully done it is just sometimes you put grammar work on hold when you're going to the final part, which is practical applications. And, and we'll touch on, on that in a, in a moment. Yes, but course. we're sort of like we're being nice and thorough about grammar and logic or knowledge and understanding is yes. that when you have enough context, meaning the who, where, and when, and you certainly have enough definition, which is the what, then you are ready to move forward. Like to say, for example, to presume that Proudhomme's definition of anarchy 
is the only definition of anarchy. And all other definitions of anarchy are not useful, including the Greek ancient definition of anarchy, anarchon, no ruler, you know. So if someone is really presuming that they get to throw out all of this other grammar, they're just tossing it out, they're just crossing it off, and their only one definition works, to connect with that individual, intellectually speaking, requires that you guys are both at least temporarily on the same page as to the okay. meaning of each word. And when you are really on that same page, you can go to the next step of logic. But if you jump to the logic part, and uh, as an example, um, if you jump only to, let's say, pointing out a person's potential logical fallacies, and if they haven't studied logical fallacies, you could be very much skipping what it is that, you know, like they actually mean by their grammar. You're going past that, which in itself is one of the logical fallacies of it's, it's an appeal to equivocation or it's, it's uh, basically, you know, arbitrary and vaguely defined terms, which is a fallacy. Um, a common fallacy that's coming up is appeal to popularity because a whole lot of people say it or think it or do it. Therefore, that's the right thing to do or say or think. You know, it's it's called the appeal to a popularity, appeal to tradition. Um, it could be even, um, uh, there are lots of different appeals, but anything that goes in that direction, like, I, like what I would mention with the logical fallacies that uh, everyone out there watching and listening, go ahead, look at them, because there are, there are at least a good 40 logical fallacies that would be useful to know, but even 10 would do. And even four categories would do, you know, but just to look at them, they are like a virus scanner for your own mind. They are definitely. And, yeah. you know, it's shocking just to open a newspaper and see, you know, the, 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 anyone would think I was crazy if I really thought that just because the car wasn't running, therefore there must be no petrol in the engine. But the number of news stories that make an identical logical fallacy to that is outrageous. You know, anywhere you look, you know, people are constantly trying to convince you of things all the time, every day, uh, on the television, uh, your friends, uh, in the newspaper, you need to have a way of knowing whether claims are accurate or not. And what I'm really shocked is how often other people that I'm speaking to do not understand that, you know, an appeal to popularity is not an argument. Or, or it is an argument, but it's not logical because you just say, well, you know, once upon a time, uh, most people believed the world is flat, supposedly. Maybe that wasn't true. But if they did, would that have made it true that the world was flat? No, of course not. And so forth. So this is basically step one, you know, know your logical fallacies because they're everywhere. And as you say, it's just the first line of defense against uh, believing a claim that might not be true. And I would say it's the second line of defense because to know the grammar would be to build the building blocks of understanding what you're working with in the first place. And to know the logical fallacies internally is an inside job. It's an opportunity to grow and to stop being fooled, to right. understand, have humility that you have been fooled in the past. Flexibility, which is to say, I, I wonder, like, like basically, this could be so, but this also could work too. There's a flexible nature sure. in that. 
and sure. curiosity, the same thing a child would have, like, I wonder what will happen if the, we try it this way. You see, it, it is something like this, and I highly caution the students of the trivia method, like, like you right now, please do not try to think that you can be someone's logic coach, mm -hmm. because only if they're explicitly saying, I want to learn the logical fallacies from you right now in this discussion because if you bring up someone else's logical fallacies which are potential again you can't prove for sure that it is there but even if you bring up the the potential of a fallacy they might very well not be willing to hear that because for them it's a logical fallacy called non sequitur argumentum non sequitur that does not it does not compute we were talking about the car and the power you're bringing up logical fallacies how is that subject connected? For them, it's not connected yet because they don't have the bridge of how it's connected. And they can get emotional about a certain subject. Donald Trump is a racist, and they have to have that true. Their whole being right now is based upon that being true. This is, this is of course, an appeal to emotion for, for like that they want to appeal to your emotion because it definitely appeals to their emotion whether it's true or not, whether there's evidence or not, evidence be damned, they want this to be true. There are people out there like this, I'm telling you. I live near them. And <laughs> right. this is something that exists out there. And I just, I note the logical fallacy potential as a flag. It's a flag that goes up saying, I see that they are emotionally volatile. This could be an appeal to an emotion. They could, someone appeal to their emotion. Now they're trying to appeal to my emotion. And again, this is their method of making decisions. Even if it's using a logical fallacy, my job is to figure out, are they, have they been fooled themselves, which is usual, or are they purposefully trying to fool me, to sell me something, which is rare in my life. Right. And I just want to like know and, and potentially find levels of respect because if I'm going to engage with a person, I would wish to be harmonious inside. So we're speaking of mind mind balancing methods it's up here heart balancing methods different but okay. they use the same components you know and it's kind of like that thing have you ever been told oh you're two in your head you need to go down in your heart you ever been sure. told that yeah <laughs> i, used to I have been too um i would say this my claim most people you're just doing it wrong up here you know kind of like yeah. where you know we're going over how to do it in my opinion or at least more effectively to get a predicted result so who, what, where, and when, that's the grammar component. So you just, you're building your base, you're, you're clear on your definitions, and if you're talking with someone, you become clear with their definitions. Logic or understanding, you know the components and you know the relationship between the components, which is why. Why is there a relationship between these two parts that you're discussing, such as entrepreneurship and I would say, um, an uplifted life. What is the, what's the relationship between these two things? You would know the answer to that. I know the answer to that because we live it and we've been living it for a few years now. Um, but right. people who, who work for other people, they might be missing, they might be missing, like, in other words, the why. They don't see the connection between the two. And so for them, it's completely rational for them to come up with some type of, I would say, a, a very quick and arbitrary conclusion. Anytime you come up with a, a mental conclusion, that's logic, whether it's erroneous or not, or whether it's completely factual and, and useful. And so that it's, it's them putting the answer why to the question in their head.
and you can okay. see that. So we've talked about grammar, we've talked about logic, and I'm assuming because it's called the trivia method that there's a third component to it uh, of which grammar and logic, can we have the W words again, just grammar is? Who, what, where, when? Logic is? Why. Why, okay. And the third component of the trivium? The third component is called classical rhetoric in its technical term. And okay. in its more, or I would say modern term, it's called wisdom if it's practical or okay. bullshit if it's not. You know, okay. <laughs> it's, okay. in other words, sometimes the results of faulty grammar and faulty logic will result in bullshit. And okay. once in a while, you'll get lucky and you will get the results that you predicted and desired. But for the most part, if you do have very good grammar work and it's all done, and that's you've answered your who, what, where, and when in a substantial way that gets you know clarity, and you've isolated and removed any contradictions by virtue of knowing your logical fallacies, that you, you know why the relationship between those grammar parts works that way and why it sort of works and why it doesn't work. I'll give you a practical example at the end of this. Nice. Then you can move on to the classical rhetoric. Question. You can move on to the practical applications of your knowledge and understanding and that is a demonstration of how. So okay. it's very simple and we're going to go to an advanced rhetorical tactic called the rhetorical triangle after this but first off you know, we're, we're talking about it in the, in the abstract of critical thinking. You want to learn how to build a fire, Anthony. Can I use that as an example? Sure. Okay. I do. Yeah. Um, I grew up making fires since I was age eight, moved into a place with my parents with a wood stove, um, and they began giving me permission to make fires starting at age eight. So I learned the grammar of fire, which means the components, in my case, newspaper, kindling, sticks, um, all types of small little sticks, even sawdust from the wood shop downstairs was used as, as a fire starter. Um, I learned about the split pieces of logs, the really small split pieces of logs, and I learned about small logs and medium-sized logs. So those are, that's the grammar. They're just components right now. I learned the logic, the next step. I, I didn't need to know the history of fire, who invented fire. I didn't need to know that. I just needed to know what the components are, you know. Um, I just needed the right. what part in this instance. So it's even, the grammar was even more simplified. But now I needed to know why a fire would work. So if I just put a bunch of big logs down and some paper on top of it and then some, maybe some small logs and then maybe some kindling, it wouldn't make a fire because I needed to have them in the proper order because fire goes, burns from the, from you generally from down to up. That's the way flames move. So I needed to start with paper, move to kindling, move to small sticks, small strips of logs, small logs, medium logs, big logs. I needed to move in that order to make an effective hot fire that lasted a long time. Um, there was a logic to it and I was shown the logic, build it this way. 
the air is moving from the intake of the wood stove in this way and it's moving up to the chimney that way. This is the air direction. It's part of the grammar. And the logic is, I'm going to go with that grammar. I'm going to go with that flow, basically. I'm not going to go against that flow. I need to understand the components of it. I need to see it in my mind's eye and I need to build it so it works. And then comes the practical applications or wisdom because it was practical because by age eight, I was making effective fires. And it just comes down to those things. I would know what are the components of the fire, grammar, why does it work this way? Why does it kind of work this way? And why does it never work this way? And that was based upon the, the logic of how to stack the things. And then it's the demonstration, the classical rhetoric, if I was using my words, but wisdom, if it's practical and demonstrates predicted and desired results, I show you how a fire is built. How? I will show you. You know, I lived with fire for a big portion of my years because I lived in the frozen northeast of North America. And right. fire was six to nine months a year, you know. So um, this was really driven into me, really driven home. And when I went camping with people, who didn't use a fire because they didn't use they they didn't use fire to heat their homes. They, their parents didn't have such a thing. They didn't know how to make a fire, and I would sit back and watch them make a crappy fire that would <laughs> sputter out, and I'd, I'd watch them do all kinds of things because they were missing the logic of how a right. fire wants to move. Right, and they didn't really savor the component parts, the grammar of the fire, you know. Right. So <laughs> he didn't take the time to like build it up from the ground up like you explained. Yeah. They um, didn't think to, about to it. Get, they didn't think about it. They didn't try and get it right. They just tried to do it ad hoc. Right. Right. So anything you want to do, it, there's always an org way of organizing the learning from the ground up so you can create predictable and desirable results I guess and if you mess around you might get some of these things by luck by chance and if you continue to do that you will find that if someone else tries to get you to show you how you're doing what you're doing you won't get them to do all the messing around you'll show them how to do it in a better order because you will eliminate a lot of the trial and error when you teach something to someone else. In fact, I was a piano teacher for a long time and one of the things that I learned from teaching the piano was to reorganize my own knowledge of music uh, much more efficiently because when I was presented with the opportunity to teach it to someone else, I wanted to communicate that in a step-by-step -step process where they could get it as easily and as quickly as possible. And that helped organize my own mind. So, you know, and there's an old Hindu proverb or that goes, to learn, read, to know, write, to master, teach. teach. So what I've taken from what you've explained to me, Daryl, is that, this trivia method is not just for the purposes of coming to correct conclusions conceptually, but it's a, a method of learning which can be applied to any discipline. Now, for those people who were thinking, well, this is a show on critical thinking, 
what um, does all this example about a fire have to do with reaching correct conclusions on conceptual topics? Can you just bridge the gap uh, uh, for us and just make that really explicit? So for conceptual topics, it still comes back to some type of practicality. If we're talking about a subject and there's nothing practical about it, it is completely in the theoretical. It's like talking about dimensions that we don't have access to. Okay. Then that's going into almost the realm of aesthetics or I would say like types of artful and desirable quality appreciation. The life even you know every part of philosophy or like the love of wisdom as philosophy actually essentially equates to philosophy love of wisdom love of knowledge and wisdom together again wisdom in this instance is referring to the practical that which yields a predicted and desired result that is the practical right so, so when you think of a wise person that's someone that if you go to he's collected such experience that if you can explain your situation to him he'll be able to see alternatives and think of things that you've not thought of before that will gain better results than you will that's why you consider that person wise right due to the nature of them having practical practical applications that they can give to you. Now, here's the final thing. Um, rhetoric also includes, you know, the, the classical rhetoric, as it's called, is often focused upon the communication aspect of the practical, to put words together in a way that conveys the meaning in not too lengthy of a term, so that that would have the adjective called concise, like what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give this information in a concise fashion as possible, as well as making it understandable so that when I'm communicating is the other person clear on my definitions good we got the grammar part is the other person operating using a, an informal logical fallacy here and there and the other place well it would be good to be clear on which ones those potentially are um, sometimes I might bring that to their attention but sometimes I would keep it to myself and just ask questions to verify if that's indeed the way they want to make their decisions because it's a voluntary world and I usually create a more of a harmony between me and others when I understand and respect the other person's method of decision making and that's called their logic method. Whether it's in fallacies or whether it's avoiding fallacies, it's their logic method. So the rhetoric part is knowing the grammar of me and the other person and knowing the logic of me and the other person and now keeping in mind the objectives why are we having this discussion i know my objectives with this discussion with you anthony no that's something very important you may know your objective with this discussion with me but very often we might go into a discussion and not even know why why are we debating this do we want to show the other person that we are right do we want them to accept our position have we got a bigger goal? Do we think, well, if we convince enough people of this position, we will live in a better world? Do we want them to go out and advocate for our decision? Or do we want them to, to convince them to engage in an activity with us? You know, something less, something that sounds a bit more benign. Oh, I'm not really sure if I want to go out to the beach. Oh, come on, it'll be fun. <laughs> you know, uh, okay. I don't know. So, so you got so, it. 
right. This is this is exactly it. This is uh, I'm excited that you saw the connection right there. Um, you remember when I said grammar work is never fully done? I right. mean, you're never fully done with it. As soon as you can write a sentence like, my objectives with this discussion are this, that's part of the grammar. It instantly is part of your grammar again. You're never done with grammar. You, you, you can put it aside for the purpose of applying yourself to actions, actions like talking, actions like acting, doing things. But as soon as you're done with the, the talking, the doing, you have a moment to reassess your grammar with important questions of like that, that logic part. Why am I having this discussion? That's a very important part of logic. You are asking and answering why. And you're going back to putting it back into your grammar hopper. I am having the discussion with Anthony because he wants critical thinking in a method, not just using his intuition and a few parts of logical fallacies. He wants an actual method to get more predicted and desired results. So now we can go to the communication interpersonal part of classical rhetoric, which is called the rhetorical triangle. I'm going to encourage you and the listeners to draw a triangle on the piece of paper in front of you, just to make a triangle or visualize it in your mind's eye. There's three points on this triangle. The first point is the author. Right now, that's me. I am the author of my message. Get, how come you get to be the author? It's so unfair. Uh, you get to be the author in a moment, but I'm just going to do it first until you have the rhetorical triangle as a concept. Otherwise, I'll say you can teach it to me, Anthony. Okay, <laughs> okay so you get to be the author because you're the teacher. Right now, for the moment, you're going to teach it all back to me, remember? So to demonstrate how, in rhetorical terms, in communication terms, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to start off with the author. That's the top of the triangle. The next part of the triangle, I usually like clockwise, by the way, is called the message. That's my words right now. These words are my message. And that is for the purpose of understanding what, what, is, what am I trying to do here? I, again, I, I've already crossed the why part. Why am I having these words coming out of my mouth? I learned the rhetorical triangle in a simplistic way. It's, you know, uh, logos, ethos, pathos are the ancient part of it, but I'm not. I'm right. going to focus on the practical, modern part. Author and message is you right now, Anthony, and you, all the listeners and viewers. Right. You guys are called the audience. When I'm communicating, when I'm using my rhetoric, and I'm using my words, I'm demonstrating how with words. I'm, that, that's my action part. I am keeping in mind as the author, who is my audience. Where is my audience? audience? You know, what is, is my audience, audience composed of? When does my audience exist? Right now? But yes, but what about the future YouTube watchers, future right. listeners to this podcast? What about the future? You know, I'm understanding the grammar of my audience. I'm understanding okay. the logic of my audience. Why are they interested in this topic? Why would they continue to listen to the sound of my voice and the sound of your voice, Anthony? So they I'm have some... The audience have some grammar, uh, some logic. So we're trying to understand that because why? Yeah. Because if you don't know where they're at, supposing let's come back to my piano lessons, I don't yeah. want to try and teach some, I want to see how far along someone is when I teach the music theory, for example, which is the grammar of music. You know, yes. I, because if they don't know, 
what the relationship are between the chords in a certain key. If I say play chord two, five, and then one, they wouldn't have any idea what that meant. Um, they wouldn't be able to make sense of that. So I need to know where, where whereabouts they are, how far along in their grammar they are, in order to know how to pitch the class and my teaching appropriately. Now, if they do know that, if they do have the necessary knowledge, it might be silly not for me to say, oh yeah, and then it's just a two, five, one. I, I was uh, gesturing on my air keyboard there, but no one saw. If they, were, if they knew what that meant, it would be silly not for me to communicate in that language because it would take a lot longer for us to have the discussion and slow down the class. So you need to be aware of the, the grammar and the logic of your audience. Imagine this, uh, Anthony, to add to the grammar and the logic and the practical applications going on around the audience, there's also a grammar and logic and practical applications of the author and the message as well. So okay. while I'm in real time, when I'm communicating with you and the rest of the audience out there, I am keeping in mind that there are three components going on for each of these three components and I'm tailoring my message in real time to my audience as best as I'm able to figure them out as I also understand that I have my own grammar of Daryl Becker I've got my own logic of Daryl Becker and my own practical applications each of them have components like that and surrounding these three surrounding the entire rhetorical triangle as this is called is called the context, the circle of context. It's it's all of what's going on right now. Everything. You in Scotland, me on the big island of Hawaii, this world, who both of us who who we both are in relationship to each other, our past, our history together, everything. Everything that's needed to know. So sometimes little components of the circle of context it's will go be into all of context today. Yeah, sometimes the oval of context, see, we can, we can get metaphorical and flip it there. See, sometimes elements of the context will come into my awareness as relevant. It's not necessarily about the audience, not necessarily about me. It's not really necessarily about the words, but I'm going to tailor my words, keeping all of this in mind. And as soon as I'm done talking and I begin listening to you, Anthony, you're the author. Right. I'm the audience and your words are the message, and right. it flips like that, you know? Mm. Mm. So you have, a, you have a discourse where the author switch places with the audience um, well, if it is a discourse. Yeah, in a, in a discussion, yeah. Now, if, I, if this is like a TED Talk, and I'm up there, and I'm like, I'm commanding the attention space, the most I might ever be able to do is ask the audience members, who out there has ever considered themselves a critical thinker and I could have a bunch of hands go up. It's like, okay, who out there feels comfortable stepping up on stage and saying in three sentences their method of critical thinking and watch a whole bunch of hands go down? You know, okay. You know, and that okay. would be my engagement with the audience in this instance. But with you, since this is a one-to-one -one, and since we're making this a friendly discussion kind of thing, we get to flip it back and forth and... So sure. this, is, this is a demonstration of how, in other words, how to effectively communicate in this instance. And like you mentioned, trivia method of critical thinking, as I outlined, can be applied to any type of learning discipline. Right. So tell us the, the value of conceptualizing this as a rhetorical triangle. The value is 
tracking. As an author who's tracking the audience, I find that how fast am I keeping with the audience? Am I keeping their attention span? Do they have an interest level? Are, are they actually able to follow me or am I going too quickly? For me, it's about as I track in real time, I will adjust the language. Am I using big words like the concomitant ontological studies of this use of, you know, if words like concomitant and ontological, that's going to go right over people's heads. So make sure to, I, I'm tailoring my words just like you were, where you don't just jump into describing what an arpeggio is. You need right. to, like, you have to go back and you're con describing smaller yeah. components first, you know? Sure, <laughs> sure. Yes. Okay, got you, got you. So, quick, a quick review. The trivia method is made of three components. Grammar, give us those <laughs> grammar components. Who, what, where, and when. And by the way, this is synonymous with knowledge. Knowledge, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so these are the facts of the matter. We're going to plug the facts of the matter into our processor, let's say, and do some reasoning. And that's logic. Logic. The question is, and then, why? why? That's it. Yeah. Why? And also, this is understanding. This is this understanding the component, the connection between the grammar com components. Right. And so, Finally, we have the practical application, right? So I get into a lot of political debates, let's say, right? So, and I'm sure that people listening do as well. So if we're going to plug this in, it's like, right, first of all, you know, what is it that the government actually does, right? You know, then look, is that, you know, the logic? Well, what's going to happen if the government does that, right? You know, here's what happens. Or, um, you know, here's what happens as a, a, a as a result. So, what's the outcome going to be? The wisdom is going to be. So, what role should we have for government? Should we have more of it or less? Should we have any? You know, just to so that this isn't a hanging concept. You know, in people's heads, so that you can plug it into something, right? So, if we understand, if we gather our data, so you know, someone might say, well, you know, without the government, then children wouldn't get educated and say, well, wait a minute, before the government provided education in my country, in the UK, in 1850, 95% of children were already getting five to seven years of education. And what do they learn in that education now, today? Is it good? Do they learn social skills? Do they learn how to be responsible for their own life? Do they, can they get a job afterwards? Can they only get a minimum wage job afterwards? Do they feel confident to tackle life? Well, if not, if not, then maybe, um, maybe I'm getting into logic now and, and say, if you can agree with me that the, the kind of education that we have doesn't have the kind of results that we would want education to have, at least, then we can go into the logic stage and you say, yeah, but we can reform it, we can we can vote, we can get into office, we can uh, get into the Department of Education, we can write to our representatives. And I say, well, you know, people have tried that. I'd, I'm just obviously taking it in as an example. This is when we're going to find out whether, once we've agreed on the facts, whether we can agree on the logic of how to proceed from that. and. Uh, I think I'd be right in saying that the wisdom would be if if we process that 
information correctly so that we come to similar conclusions, then the wisdom would be implementing those conclusions or, or perhaps you can can yes. correct me. Yeah, that was right. exactly it, which, which you can do with the Socratic method. That's called asking questions. So right. it would be, so we agree that we have these problems with the compulsory education, the compulsory schooling situation, which is alleged to provide education for children. We can agree that we have these problems. So we have some grammar agreement. We even could have some logic agreement that the problems happen because of things that we both discuss. We, we've, we see evidence for. So the reasons, you know, like, um, the the method of one size fits all doesn't work so a lot of people mm. slip through the cracks the faster people like on honestly myself going through compulsory education i was i was left hanging bored just like feeling like like put out I'm, i was ready to go way faster than what they were delivering to me right and the people who are really slow were also left behind and um so that was a component of probably an answering why it didn't work so well Right. And the the also the the grammar part of the hours when does school take place? Like when a child is really tired and needs extra amounts of sleep. You know, the, the timing of the whole event basically, the when part. So we can agree on grammar components, we can agree upon logic components. And then the person says, Well, you could just join this, you know, the school board and do that. So like then the question is this what I would put for it is, can you please show me a practical application of this? Like show me a real specific example of this working, of joining and changing that system for the better. Which mm -hmm. would leave a lot of people like showing like, well, this school has like these excellent test marks or something. But like, but no, really, show me the results of the children who go through that. They're supposed to be adults at the end, right? Age 18. Mm -hmm. And now what's the level of success that they are? are? Are they going into college and gaining into debt? Are they, you know, are they going into a very, I would say, like a, a type of uh, a type of life that they appreciate on an aesthetic level, that they appreciate on a financial and stable level? You know, show me the results, basically. Like, it's right. really a how. Show me how it works. And when you get to that point, you might find that there must be an emotional resistance because you might be there might be lacking in evidence supporting what their conclusions are. Right. Now that's part of your grammar. If someone gets emotional, that goes into the grammar hopper again, they are what? They're frustrated, they could be sad, there could be fear underneath that, that they're afraid to show the fear. You know, um, they they even could have shame thoughts of deserve. We all deserve this. We all deserve that. Entitlement to this. Entitlement to that. You know, and and that's Everyone part of the an education, <laughs> right? And without defining what that exactly means, what, what, uh, yeah, how how that would be achieved? Because it perhaps right. it's not being achieved just now. For example, this trivia method was not taught to any of us in school, and it seems really rather fundamental. So. I feel like I've learned a little bit about the trivia method today. Can you teach uh, it back I to me? Can I? Well, after such a short class, I'm not 100% sure I can, but I'll bloody well have a shot at it. So if I was to say the trivia method is a three-step process which allows one to gain desirable and predictable results by looking at the components of what is required to gain 
desired and re predictable results in the relevant discipline. The first being the grammar, who, what, where, and how. When. Why. When. when. Who, what, where, and when. Who, what, where, and when. See, I deliberately repeated that over and over and get, got you to repeat it over and over because I knew it would be hard for me to remember and by extension for our audience. Who, what, where, and when. The logic, which is the why, and the wisdom, which is the how, um, or the classical rhetoric, which is the how. In the first step, we go through sort of the necessary information, the building blocks. I, this is how I've conceptualized it. It's not the same as how you've taught it to me, but it's working for me in my head. So basically, it's like the ingredients of a recipe. And then once the ingredients are there, you check your ingredients to make sure they're the right ingredients. And then you have to find the method for what order the ingredients need to go into the pan, for example. So you don't want to put your mushrooms in first because they're going to cook a lot faster than some other elements of the meal. The and onions. then the onions. Okay, exactly. Um, and then uh, once you understand how to get cooking, it's time to uh, it's time to implement that and get good at it until uh, to, to apply to apply that knowledge which would be your your classical rhetoric your wisdom and uh, by putting it into practice by making sure the ingredients and the recipe and how it's followed are correct your meal will come out the way you expect it to exactly so the recipe, I'm going to use that in future productions, by the way, thank you, because nowadays more people would follow a cooking recipe than they would be building a fire, unfortunately. Okay. Well, yeah. your fire analogy, I'm sure, tantalized the audience because just because it was so authentic and from your own experience. So now, I've enjoyed this conversation. There is another thing that I don't know about, that I might want to know about one day, and maybe my audience might want to know about it as well, and that is the quadrivium method. Would you give us a little tea? I've like literally no idea what that is. I'm sure I've heard about it before, but would you give us a little teaser? Where our appetite for the prospect of the possibility of another collaboration while, while we might learn about the quadrivium method? Okay, so long ago, these learning arts that uh, include the trivium and the quadrivium were a truncated version of a great number of arts going beyond 19 different disciplines. Um, okay. So to sort of fit them into the Pythagorean triangle, which goes three, like it goes basically five, three, four. That's the Pythagorean triangle. Okay. They made an arbitrary three for the trivium and arbitrary four for the quadrivium and five to represent five the... Five senses. Yeah, that's the five part. So your five senses is what you really own yourself. And that flows into 
the trivium. Your, you know, your grammar is composed of what you pick from your five senses. Oh, this is getting very, ex very interesting, very exciting. So we yeah. take in data from the world through our five senses, through our five sense organs, and that yeah. data then becomes the grammar of the trivium. You got method, it. Method which we just discussed. Yeah. Then you process it with with logic before you take action. You just understand the the, the connections between the components with why questions, and just like with the recipe showing when do you add the onions and when do you add the mushrooms, then you actually get to do the practical applications. And with words, that's called classical rhetoric, and with actions, it would be called wisdom or practical applications. And then that's that's your trivium. And from there, that flows into the beginning of scientific disciplines, which they truncated to four. Right. The first of them. So the trivium, think of that as the arts of quality, the qualitative arts. You're looking at qualities, basically. You know, you're looking at it uh, abstractly like that. With the quadrivium, you're looking at quantity. Quantity. A quantity arts. So it begins with the first of the four, which is numbers in the abstract. Mathematics. Mathematics. Yeah. And then from there it flows to the next. Numbers in space. Geometry. Geometry. Literally, literally the measurement of the world. You know, just mm. spatial understandings. Weird things happen when you build a structure like a pyramid. When your geometry is built just so. Like have you ever heard that a razor stays sharp in a pyramid? That's a weird thing. Why is that? Well, I don't know the answer to that, Anthony, because I haven't studied the quadrivium nearly as much as the trivium. But okay. I do know that weird things happen geometrically speaking, and the world is built geometrically. Like, why do volcanoes exist along certain axis points, right. like uh, along the certain meridians and certain longitudes, for example, like where I am? It's a really weird yes. question, and it's geometry. Next comes numbers in time, which is frequencies and music, what you have studied, you know, the timing of notes, the timing of frequencies. I use frequency medicine in my healthcare practice. You know, there are electromedicines where you apply certain frequencies to a certain acupuncture point or an area on the body, and the frequency will encourage certain things or discourage other things, depending on what you want to do. So that would be numbers in time, frequency, and classically done music wonderfully and then finally numbers in space and time simultaneously mind-blown astronomy and astrology both and astrology. weird things happen yes both weird things happen when a person is born on a certain time when the other planetary things are moving in a certain way and in a certain position in fact, weird things only happen if you, like the pattern between Earth and Venus that makes a, a five-petaled flower when you right. look at the orbits, you know. Right. That's weird. That's odd. Yes, that's weird. And the yoga system, which uh, I, I've recently been practicing yoga, they talk about how the human being is such because of the geometry of the solar system. If and the, the galaxy. It's, and the galaxy it is a potter's wheel. If the Earth was a different distance from the Sun or, you know, and such, the quality of organism that would evolve on the planet would be different because the solar system itself is a potter's wheel and the ge geometry is very important. Um, and, and to go on from that, long ago before, 
neo-Darwinists started saying that, well, we've basically evolved as far as we're going to evolve. The, the human system, we, we've stopped evolving because we've taken life and death into our own hands, basically. We, we craft the world around us. You know, Shiva, the Adi Yogi, the first Yogi, said that humans had reached the capacity of their physical evolution. And now if they wanted to evolve, they had to do it as a conscious process which is why he taught yoga so that you can take your your own evolution into your own hands and uh, and make it into a conscious process i may have strayed uh, a little from the topic at hand but the yogic system is is about geometry and certain geometry in the in the body and and the the ability to have a uh, full flexibility in the body so that you can get yourself into certain positions which are geometrically precise Exactly. Um, so that goes with it perfectly. See? Right. Yeah. yeah. I had to tie that back in somehow. So a lot uh, to tantalize. This is probably going to be the first episode of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast. So uh, <laughs> thank you for joining me in this uh, watershed moment. And you've given me plenty to be excited about for the future of this project. And So much, Anthony. Uh, if other people want to hear more about your work and get more Daryl Becker in their life, more Daryl Becker podcasts, but don't forget about the Be Yourself and Love It podcast, but definitely make time to check out the Daryl Becker back catalog. Uh, where can they find that? Right now you can go to voluntaryvisions.com. Just as long as you can type those two English words, voluntary As long visions. as you get the grammar right. Voluntary yeah, yeah. visions. Yeah, there's there's only one spelling of voluntaryvisions.com, and that will lead you to the catalog of going back at least about four and a half years of my audio archive, 140 hours of me. I recommend more of my recent work. I think my rhetoric is more clear and concise nowadays than it was back in the day. That's where you can find me, and and also. Um, eventually, it'll be at darylbecker.com, will be a portal. But right now, voluntaryvisions.com. And Anthony, it was a royal pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. And thank you for coming on my brand new show. So get to voluntaryvisions.com and check out Daryl Becker if you want to read and listen to more on the Trivian Method. I can say he certainly whet my appetite, and I definitely feel like I know more about it. Uh, then before I began this conversation. Until then, be yourself. Don't just be yourself. Be yourself and love it. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes. And if you would like some help in taking your life to its maximum potential, I thoroughly recommend going on to beyourselfandloveit.com and clicking the course tab to find out all about the personal development course I spent eight months designing to help people through all sorts of blocks that they might be having in their personal development process. As well as supporting you in reaching your maximum potential, it will also help to support this show and keep it free. Please share the show with any personal development enthusiasts or critical thinking enthusiasts as the bigger an audience I have, the, the more prominent guests I can have and I want to do something really special with this show. So please support me and I will support you in your quest to be yourself and love it.